episode, we open our Bibles to Hosea chapter 12. Israel boasts of its wealth and prosperity, while Yahweh reminds them that he could easily take it all away. Prosperity does not equate to faithfulness or blessings. This chapter recalls the history of the Israelites, focusing on their ancestors, Jacob and Moses. And Hosea, once again, emphasizes the faithfulness of God throughout its history, despite the unfaithfulness of the people. Good morning and blessed Lenten Tide. Today is Tuesday, March 21st, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word. Each weekday morning, we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. And I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is sponsored in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. They assist congregations and missionaries in sharing the good news of Jesus through Lutheran materials translated into foreign languages. Visit lhfmissions.org to learn how they can support you in spreading the gospel and to explore all their range of offerings. That's lhfmissions.org. Well, please join me in welcoming my guest this morning, a regular guest to the program to help us guide uh, or help guide us rather in our discussion of Hosea chapter 12. It's the Reverend John Shank, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. Good morning, Pastor Shank. Welcome back to the program. Well, good morning. God's blessings to you. It's always an honor to be on and and uh yeah, it's a, it's great to be able to explore the text and and see God's love, his his promises and and to see his word that calls us um out from a darkened world and out from our temptation to wander uh back to his word of promise. Speaking of temptation to wander, the you you when you were last with us, we covered well, we covered Second Timothy, but before that, we covered three different chapters together in Exodus. So it's interesting to now see the people of Israel sometime later at falling away. And, and even in this text, we have God reminding them that he once again brought was the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt. It's so often do they forget and start to rely on themselves. Um, I think there's so much in Hosea. It speaks of the, the sins and the temptations of the people during that time, but it really does connect to a lot of what's going on today. Absolutely. And talking to the congregation and the, and the preaching of God's word uh, about the theology of, of glory this last weekend. And because uh, we had the, the text that, that speaks of, of who's to blame and our, our thoughts usually go about trying to look to what what we can see with our senses and 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 feel and touch and taste to give us a, a, a clear understanding and we think that that's that's where our understanding lies um, but here the the word of the lord continues to remind us and proclaim to us that that it's it's not what we see with our natural fallen eyes uh, eyes affected by the fall and our sin and our blindness but it's the eyes of faith and an eye that that actually hears, <laughs> a hearing eye to the word. And it's right. by that hearing eye that we will know God aright. And, and that comes up time and time again here. Well, this section that we're going to be dealing with today, much like the other sections, I mean, it really is one 
I don't know how we, I don't know if we call them sermons or proclamations. I've never really thought about what we call these, these uh, proclamations of the prophets. Uh, Luther called it a sermon. Um, you know, his, his declarations of God's judgment that's coming, it's been similar themes, but these are happening over the course of decades. And I don't know that we're able to pinpoint, say, well, this one happened and then 20 years passed or five years passed and this one happened. But it does seem that the people are more and more relying on the fact that they are prosperous, that frankly, things I mean, I think they're going a little downhill, but they're still living in the days of all the prosperity that they received. And I think they look at that and they go, well, we must be doing something right. And yet it's that very reliance upon themselves and their own strength and prosperity that the prophet's going to be calling out today. Yeah, maybe they uh, maybe the time frame is the the 1980s or certain times, the 1990s or certain recent times. Right. right. It seems like he's speaking directly uh, to us, too. I think that there is that uh, same struggle. And even as a church body, um, we can look and say, uh, you know, are we are we being faithful to the Lord when we look at. Um, ourselves and say, well, how how are we doing? And what do we look at? Well, what's our bottom line? <laughs> how how faithful are we being? Well, what's right. the bank account look like? Well, that that is not anywhere near what the Lord calls us to do to look at our our faithfulness to His Word or to understand uh, where we stand before the Lord, um, uh, how comfortable we we are in a in a uh, monetary or a physical sense uh, of our lives. Um, but our call is to be faithful to his word, no matter what struggle comes. And yeah, uh, yeah, I totally agree with you in the life of, uh, of Hosea in this time, you know, or the fall of, of Northern uh, Israel, that this Northern kingdom to perhaps just right after. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't think we're going to be able to pinpoint uh, an actual date um, but knowing this time frame really helps us to see um, that God's word that talks about um, the flood and people living in prosperity and then the flood came or Sodom and Gomorrah mm. or, or maybe in our own lives. Uh, I was reading a prayer uh, the other day about the beginning of the of the week and in the prayer it, it talks about you know how often, you know, do we begin a week? Does the, the Christian life begin the week in such strength and prosperity? But by the end of the week, by Saturday, uh, do do we bury that person? So, um, yeah, the judgment of the Lord comes comes quickly. That's an interesting um, illustration you brought up because I think of Luther's morning prayer, evening prayer. Where you start the day off, you know, keep me from all sin and all. And then by the end of the end of the day, you're like, uh, forgive me for all the sins that I committed. Uh, you know, it, it, it's this constant struggle uh, to be faithful and a struggle against our own sin. Well, I tell you what, so that our minds and hearts are in the right place. Uh, before we get into the text itself, I'd love to begin with a prayer. And I invite you to lead us in that prayer. Let us pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, lead us not into temptation. For we, by our, our sinful fallen nature, are prone, O Lord. We are prone to walk. We are prone to wander, wander from you. 
walk away from your word, to be tempted to look at the lights of this darkened world as if they were the one true light, at the sounds of this one fallen world and sinful world as if they were speaking words of truth. And yet they are only a blind guide and a, a fallen leader. Help us, O oh Lord, to turn from these things by the call of your Holy Spirit. Turn from them to your Son, who is our Good Shepherd, who leads us in paths of, of truth, for he is the light of the world. Keep us, O oh Lord, from straying from you, for in you there is life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, when it comes to this particular passage, you know, today the assigned text, so to speak, was chapter 12, verses 2 through the end, which is verse 14. And uh, yesterday we covered through chapter 12, verse 1, because that's how the editors of the ESV have divided it. When I was reading Luther's commentary on it, he, he seems to think that it begins with chapter 11, verse 12, that that begins the new section. I don't know that I 100% agree, but just for the sake of, uh, you know, looking at his point of view, I'm going to read chapter 11, verses 12 and chapter 12, verse 1 um, as sort of a, a, a prelude or at the very least the transition between what has been going on and what we're going to read uh, more fully today. So I'm going to read those now. Ephraim has surrounded me with lies and the house of Israel deceit. But Judah still walks with God and is faithful to the Holy One. Ephraim feeds on the wind and pursues the east wind all day long. They multiply falsehood and violence. They make a covenant with Assyria and oil is carried to Egypt. And uh, folks who listened, one of the things they'll recall is we, of course, noted that Ephraim is a, uh, a stand-in. It really is referencing Israel. Uh, but then it says Judah still walks with God and is faithful to the Holy One. And and we reconciled that talking yesterday, if I can recall, uh, by saying that Judah is falling away, unfortunately, but it's it's sort of not at the same place. It's not in the same place as the uh, the people of Israel. They, they're they a little, I guess, behind in terms of their apostasy. Um, I know this wasn't your assigned text, but do you have any thoughts on that as we head into the text that we are going to look at more deeply? Yeah, I mean, we see some of this even happening. You know, I was looking at it myself. Um, and uh, 2 Kings 17, where the the oil that is taken off, you know, it's, this is not just tribute, but the treachery um, that they were looking to Egypt uh, for a sense of of salvation and, and their hope was in Egypt. And isn't that a constant thing that even after the, the Exodus, you know, into the Exodus, the people were looking back and, and wondering why God had brought them out. Had he brought them out to kill them? And yet then the Lord brought them through the sea and had they brought them into the wilderness to starve them and and the Lord fed them or, or to kill them with thirst. And the Lord gave them water. Um, here, the, the people fall back into this constant trap of looking to, to Egypt. And this is kind of, in my opinion here, this is kind of a type of of, of not just looking at it as a, a nation, but the falsehood and the false worship of Egypt 
uh, Egypt with its false gods, and, and they have the one true God. They are they are the people of God, and and when they look to other nations for hope, um, they they are slipping back into an idolatrous ways, and and then Ephraim, in their idolatrous ways, after uh, after the divided kingdom breaking from um, from Jerusalem, breaking from the temple, uh, breaking from God's covenant has brought about all sorts of false worship. Right. And this is what we've noticed is they're putting their faith, hope and trust in not only the false gods that they're creating for themselves, but in their alliances, the, the shifting alliances they have with other nations, particularly Assyria, who the prophet is warning them is going to turn away from them. And uh, there are even alliances with Egypt, their former captives. Now, obviously, lots of time has passed, but it is, as you said, symbolic of them returning to where they have been delivered from. And that's what we see. And I also understand why the editors of the ESV have sort of made the distinction between 12, 1 and 2, or the division, I should say. Because if you read verse 12, it says Judah still walks with God, but then our text for today begins with an indictment against Judah. So perhaps they're right in saying that some time has passed. I want to read verses 2 through 6 uh, just to get our feet wet with what our text is going to be for today. So more indictments against, starting with Judah, but Israel too. Here we go. Yahweh has an indictment against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. He will repay him according to his deeds. In the womb he took his brother by the heel, and in his manhood he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel, and there God spoke with us, Yahweh, the God of hosts, Yahweh, his memorial name. So you, by the help of your God, return, hold fast to love and justice, and wait continually for our God. So, so far, he's introducing the indictment that he has, but he's using Jacob and basically the, the Jacob narrative to frame what, I guess, who they used to be, I suppose, is where we're at now. We haven't gotten really to the indictment itself. It's just an introduction. But take us through this Jacob narrative and, and, and brother, show us, show us exactly what's going on. Yeah. Okay. So the yes, the example is is Jacob, our forefather. Um, so Jacob, as as we know, um, uh, his name will be changed to to Israel. So there's this um, connection back to Jacob because he's the father, uh, father twelve. Um, but as we go all the way back to him, there there's a couple different connecting points. Um, one as a as a person, as one who really doesn't have and isn't the rightful. If we're looking at um, again our, our theology of glory, uh, an, an earthly look at who should have. So who should have the the things, or who should have the place? And, and according to what we would think, um, it shouldn't be Jacob. Right. And, and yet God in his mercy, God in his love, he blesses Jacob. So, OK, so now uh, looking at Jacob in his life, he, Jacob 
is a twin, if we can remember. And uh, so it's Jacob and Esau. And is Jacob in the in the womb at, as his brother is uh, uh, being born? Is grasping? Is holding on to the the heel of his of his brother? And uh, this is how he he gets his his name, right? Jacob, meaning one who who trips or is a usurper, one who seizes and and takes hold of. And this this then is played out in his in his life, right? That Jacob is the one who um, gets the, the not only um, the birthright uh, but also the blessing. So he gets the birthright for his brother Esau, trades it for um, some food, um, and it, that, that shows his uh, his own sins and, and the, the foolishness of, of Esau and the sin of Esau. Um, but then also the treachery of uh, Jacob, the trickery of Jacob uh, in tricking his father to, um, to give him the blessing. So remember how he he dresses uh, up or he puts on uh, you know skins so that he seems like his brother Esau who is hairy and he is not. He brings in food and and uh, and by the time Esau comes back from the fields and from hunting, uh, he has he has already blessed uh, Jacob and there is not a blessing for him for him. Uh, this this Jacob is the one who has to go off, uh, run, run away, um, for his brother is, uh, about to, to kill him or his plan to kill him after his father has died. And so he goes off and he does, uh, kind of leaving, um, with, with the blessing, with the promise, with the birthright, but not only, not any of the possessions of it. He has it by faith. He has to have it by faith first. And so he goes with a staff in his hand, and that's all that he has. He is a bit penniless, and yet he has, he has the Lord. And and so he sees um, Jacob's ladder. He sees the heavens open, the angels ascending and descending. He goes off. He has to uh, work uh, for his uh, with his father-in-law, and uh, and then he himself is tricked, <laughs> tricked to to marry uh, Leah, and then. Uh, and then Rachel, and then he, and then he goes back. When he goes back, um, you know that's showing some of the promise of the Lord returning to him, uh, returning uh, to the to the Word of God, and and hopefully they're showing that he believes God's Word of promise as he goes. And as he goes, um, he is met by the Lord. And here he's he strives with the angel. Here it's not just a a creature angel. Uh, but the Malak, the angel of the Lord, Malak Yahweh. Here the God comes and is striving with him. He wrestles with God. And there, uh, as he says in verse 4, uh, God, he met God at, at Bethel. So if uh, if our, our, our listeners wanted to look, they could look at um, 28, uh, Genesis chapter 28, uh, Genesis chapter 32, Genesis chapter 35. And you see these things where then he's uh, seeing these uh, visions. He's interacting with God. He's hearing from God. And there at 35, God reiterates at Bethel. God speaks to him uh, and reiterates this new name uh, that he is, he is Israel, um, that he has striven with, with God. 
in that mindset of striving with God, one of the things that Luther notes is uh, he says, you know, this is a struggle, a harsh battle, harsh and lofty battle, he says, against God himself in that God wanted to kill him. And I've always and again, I'm not necessarily saying that's exactly the best interpretation, but I've always thought of it more generally of, you know, God's kind of pulling his punches because after all, he's God, right? He could easily you know, strike Jacob down if he wanted to. But I also think of in terms of if you if you look at Luther's point of view, it's representative of even today our constant striving with God. Not that God wants to kill us, but the reality that we deserve death by God's hand because of our sin, and yet we strive against that idea clinging to Christ's grace. And so he he puts that a little bit on us. So when we see here uh, God himself using the example of Jacob or Israel uh, striving with God at at, at Bethel, um, we, we see, I'm sorry, not Bethel, but when he strove with God, uh, when he wrestled with him, we see here that this is a wrestling that he's looking for them to do, but they're not. They're just, they're just giving into sin. They don't strive with God. They don't come before him in holy obedience or in repentance. They just, he's just a, a byword among them. And, and that's, and that's almost worse than just not believing him in, a, in him at all. So that's why he says here, Yahweh, the God of hosts, Yahweh, his memorial name, quote, so you, by the help of your God, return, hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for your God. He wants them to turn, literally turn away from their sins again, come back to him. And often the wrestling with God um, homiletically and liturgically is connected with prayer. And I think that really helps us too. that we too wrestle with God in prayer and how we're wrestling with him. But the circumstances of our life appear that God does want to kill us. <laughs> the circumstances of our lives where we might have a new diagnosis of cancer or um, a struggle of loss of job, where, where are we going to meet, uh, make our ends meet or, or whatever it might be. The outward appearances that God is here to put an end to me, but what am I going to wrestle with? How do I wrestle with God? I take God's word, and Luther would often talk about this. I take God's word and I put it back in God's face. I hold on to God by grabbing hold of his nostrils, and I'm going to put back in his faith his His word of promise. And that's how we wrestle with the Lord, by giving to God his word back to him and saying, I'm not going to let go. You have promised to bless me. In fact, that mm-hmm. is where... Um, where it all began, right? It began with his father blessing him and that blessing going down to him. So that will remain. And and I think that's where he becomes um, a, a person of an example of faithfulness uh, for us, where he wrestles with God by holding on to him and saying, no, you bless me. I'm not going to let go because God had promised to bless him. So it's not that he came up with this on his own. He discovered this. He is uh, he's best at God. No, he held on to God's promise. And that's how we that's how we um, that's how we wrestle with God. We hold on to his promises. And that's not what the people you, are doing. No, no. You use the phrase he bested God as if he got something over on God or got a loophole. But it, it might sound disrespectful when when we use the phrase as you used, you know, we sort of throw God's word back in his face. But that's what God wants from us. Right. It's It's not that we're claiming something from God that he has not promised. 
but we demonstrate in prayer and when we strive against our sins that we are putting our faith, hope, and trust in God's word. And so when we say, you know, it's like the uh, the uh, Samaritan woman, right? So she, when she claims, calls Jesus the the son of David, and then he, you know, she strives with him. He goes, well, you know, it's not right to give the bread of the children to the dogs. And she says, yes, Lord. And then she she calls upon the faithfulness of God, and he sees in her faith. And that's what he wants to see in his people here. You know, and, and, and he also recognizes that that faith is not something they can drum up or even strengthen up within themselves, because he says, by the help of your God, return. So he's not trying to get them to do something that he's not willing to help them with. And that's important for us to remember, too. It may seem like it's completely uh, outside of our ability to return to the Lord, depending on what our walk looks like. But the truth is, we will be able to with the help of the Lord. Amen. Yeah, it's they they are as we make our transition to the next verses, they have their hope. They have their wrestling and it isn't with the Lord. They are not wrestling with his promises. They're trying to find their own answers and their own comfort and it's not coming from God's word. So they've got their own place. And so God, yes, God does want us to wrestle with him. He does. He wants us to wrestle in his word. He wants us to wrestle with his promises. And he wants us to turn it back to him um, and say, I'm your, I am yours, Lord. Save me. I'm right. There in that wrestling, there is also a surrendering, surrendering ourselves to that word of promise, because it's only in that word that we have hope. Well, that's a good thought for us to ponder as we take just a few minutes for a break. Folks, don't go anywhere. When we come back, Pastor Shank and I will continue with Hosea chapter 12. We'll see you on the other side. Take a look around you. Look closely. Immigrants in the United States and their U.S.-born children now number about 81 million people, or 26% of the population. So chances are, there's someone right in your community who doesn't speak English as a first language and who doesn't know Jesus. The Lutheran Heritage Foundation can help by providing you with free Lutheran books translated into over 90 languages. See their complete list of catechisms and Bible storybooks at lhfmissions.org. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today is the Reverend John Shank, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. Folks, thank you for joining us today as we study Hosea. Don't forget, you can email me at pastorboo at gmail.com with your feedback, or you can find me on Facebook to ask questions or just say hello. And be sure to tell your friends and family to listen to Thy Strong Word. They can get the show on the radio in St. Louis, live or on demand at KFUO.org. Or if they're on the go and busy like I am, they can listen to it through the KFUO app or even as a podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. There are so many ways to stay up to date or even to catch up on episodes you've missed. I just want you to know I'm encouraged that you tune in and grow in faith with me and my guests each weekday. 
So thank you for listening. So, Pastor Shank, before the break, we were just finishing up with verse six. And, uh, you know, we, we really leaned into those verses because it speaks and recalls of their their history and the way in which God has been working with them and walking with them, which makes what what he says next all the more uh, poignant, I suppose. I'm going to read verses seven, eight and nine. A merchant in whose hands are false balances he loves to oppress. Ephraim has said, Ah, but I am rich. I have found wealth for myself. In all my labors they cannot find in me iniquity or sin. I am Yahweh your God. From the land of Egypt I will again make you dwell in tents, as in the days of the appointed feast. So we'll stop there for now. So uh, it's pretty explicit. Ephraim's like, hey, I'm rich. I got it made. You know, I'm the alpha. I, mean, I, got, I, got, I got it going on. <laughs> Wealth for myself. I'm, I got that Sigma mindset. You know, he, he's they're really, really boasting in themselves, which, um, which is a little bit removed from have you brought us out into the desert to destroy us, to let us die of thirst and hunger? Now it's like we don't need anybody. It's a, it's a very sad situation, and, and Hosea calls him out on it. Yeah, and he's not the only prophet. I mean, Amos chapter chapter eight; these same uh, words are are used against the people. These false balances. So, I mean, it's it's a horrible thing. I mean, they're they're doing it to their own people. <laughs> to their own people, they become rich, and it does it does uh, it does point to uh, the reality of like political or economic sinfulness and religious sinfulness or idolatry being interconnected, right? Because we are supposed to fear, love, and trust in the Lord above all things, right? And they have put their their hope and their and their trust and their fear and their love in, in money and, and the security that money or possessions can give. And so that's why it's I mean we we, we began Looking back to, to chapter 11 or, or seeing where maybe a, a, a division could have been, right? And, and there was that political discussion of, of Egypt, but that political discussion and the financial or, um, monetary, monetary, uh, discussion of, of riches really interconnect with false worship and idolatry which has been which has been the issue that Hosea has brought up from the images that he's used that God has called him to use um, with his marriage and and unfaithfulness and remarriage and, and getting back his wife and that that's being pointed out in their own lives this is you <laughs> this is what you've been doing if you didn't get the image here it is you you look to these things for hope and trust you look to these other nations for hope and trust you look to your money and you think you have gotten away with it who can find any iniquity or sin in this right god can god sees it all you can't escape it you can't escape though you do it in darkness god sees god sees through it all and um yeah, it's it's uh, that's their answer. That's their answer to to God who calls them back, God who calls them to remember, remember where it all began with Jacob who had nothing, who fled penniless, um, and yet God was merciful and God blessed 
God is the source of, of his security. And yet their source of security is in things. And that's, that's the greatest indictment against them. I want to just focus just a moment, though, on verse 7, because when it talks about the false balances, and you have explained that thoroughly, but I want to give the illustration here that just in case people don't know, balances would be that they're weighing out something and they would have uh, certain uh, weights that are supposed to be uh, of a, you know, today we might say certified weight, but back then they should be an honest weight. But they would have lighter ones for when they are uh, – well, it would be lighter ones for when they're selling and I guess heavier ones for when they're buying. Um, <laughs> right. That way it would look like they're uh, – they, they can get out ahead. And I just want to bring up that what you're, what you're weighing out on a scale though is typically not um, luxury goods but rather – necessary things grain and and things that people would use to eat so it's not only that they are basically getting rich at the expense of the common person their own people as you rightfully pointed out but they're they're also doing it using the means that people i'm sorry using uh, materials that people need that their food they're 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 really hitting at the core of their people they're not taking care of one another and through these false balances they are Bless. I'm sorry. They are oppressing, and yet then they turn around and they say, "Oh, well, look how rich I am." And it's, it's so we see that today in many ways, where people just they equate the idea that they have lots of money or possessions, or frankly even health, and say this is an this is proof that I'm doing all the right things, whether those things include God or not. And as you pointed out, there's are not including God. In fact, they're giving credit not only to themselves, but to the false idols of the nations around them. Prosperity can be intoxicating <laughs> and uh, in, its, in its worst sense. You know, we think prosperity is what we should strive after. And boy, are we um, intoxicated by it. We are deceived and our eyes are dimmed by it. And yet, what we should be pursuing after is not prosperity, but faithfulness. And that's really been the message. You know, you, the things that you've been said, saying are a hundred percent true. And Amos makes that the center poise place of his uh, centerpiece of his, his preaching. God's using that prophet to make those points so very clear, right? Oppressing the poor. And they are looking to do it in, in such a false way, such a horrible way. And, and, and boasting in it. And here they're boasting in it again, boasting to themselves, boasting in their treachery. And, uh, and by it, God is bringing about his word of condemnation. Why are they so bold to say not only that the wealth was found for themselves, but in all my labors, they cannot find in me iniquity or sin? What's the what's the quote there? I mean, it's being quoted by them saying, I guess, what's the reference and who's the they that are unable to find iniquity or sin? Yeah, that's a good that's a good question. I don't, I don't have a reference point at my fingertips, um, yeah. but uh, if you have that, you can please share it. Well, I don't. Here, I don't. But, I wasn't. It's not yeah. one of those like lawyer questions where I only ask the questions. I know the answer because, <laughs> you know, you're new. <laughs> but I, I, um, I do. Yes, though. I do have a guess real quick. I think uh, they're actually not only boasting that they have found wealth in themselves, but they're really good at it. 
I think the they are the people they're oppressing. So in all yeah. my labors, they can't find in me iniquity or sin. I think it's almost like, um, you know, you're they're, they're 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 stereotypically equating blessings with righteousness and suffering with sin. And I think it's this idea of well, they're 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 not able to see that I'm doing things wrong, and basically I'm getting away with it. So it must be okay. I don't know. That's my yeah. Thought. And not to get overly political, because I think both both main political parties, I think we're struggling as Christians and our devotion and over devoted to politics in Christian America. Right. Um, and when we see our hope in them, but often when the, when the cover is pulled back, it's like, Oh, you're kind of both ripping us off <laughs> and the whole, and the whole system is kind of ripping off the poor. And I, I wonder how much our Lord would be pointing that out if he were, here walking amongst us in in the way that he walked with his disciples, um, saying, "Boy, Christians, you're putting your hope in political systems and struggle and economic structures, and boy, you, you really I idolize them." Often, it's sad sometimes when you hear different Christians almost idolizing uh, the rich as if that's the Christian goal. That's the Christian. Um, highest point of, of our lives is if we could just get rich, then God would show that he has been favoring, had put, shown his favor on us and, and things like that. And that's, that's not the goal. That's not our, our, <laughs> the point of our existence. It really isn't. I hear a lot, especially when it comes to politics of, well, this side of the aisle or this party has defrauded our party and therefore our party must use the same tactics against them so the ends justify the means and it's this back and forth and you can insert yourself into either party in those in that equation and and I, I agree with you wholeheartedly i've said it once and i'll say it again the christian doesn't fit neatly into either or any political party in the system it just it just doesn't there isn't a, a perfectly christian political party uh that exists that i that i'm aware of certainly none that are in power because you're going to find um, that there is an aspect of politics that is uh, just like prosperity can be intoxicating. So, of course, can power be intoxicating. And mm. even the most well-meaning people sometimes get into the system and then say, well, although I have all the right motives, I have to play the game in order to get something done. And so they're, they're falling into those same those, those same traps that perpetuate the problems. And so the faith in faith in princes rather than God is a well, it's a perpetual problem, but it's been one that's been highlighted over the past few election cycles. And here we have uh, a country who's measuring its success based on very right, very economic means. So you know, gas cost X, Y, and Z. It didn't cost this when so and so was in in office, so therefore it was better then. Or well, we've reduced the amount of emissions when so and so is in office, and therefore. You know, we're, we're using all of these temporal measurements to measure success, but in the church, and the reason why the Christian doesn't fit well into these things is because we don't measure success in how much is in the church's account, really, or even how, my, how many people are in worship, but rather upon faithfulness. And God recalls a time when they had to rely on him, and he reminds them that he could force their hand again. I am Yahweh, your God from the land of Egypt, not that he's from the land, but he's been their God since the land of Egypt, of course, before them, but he's making this distinction. I will again make you dwell in tents as in the days of the appointed feast. 
that can't help as it applies today bring to my mind this idea that, well, while things are good, people tend to forget God. But then when things are bad, the economy's crashing uh, or planes are crashing into buildings, suddenly the churches start to fill up. And this is because, for better or for worse, when bad things happen, people seek out purpose and reasoning and, and, and salvation. And when things are going great, they tend to forget the Lord who blesses us with all these things. And so the Lord says, I will just reverse it all. I'll put you back in the Stone Age, so to speak, <laughs> and you guys will have to rely on me. And, and, and that happens personally, too. I know so many people who just think nothing of the Lord until they have cancer or they think nothing of the Lord until they have some sort of terrible tragedy. And now suddenly, and it's never too late, but it's, but it's always just sad when, it's, when, it, when it took that to get them to return to the Lord. And that's what the Lord's trying to avert here. Yeah, yes. Um, and yet there is great comfort in it. So it's a, it is a double-edged sword here. It's a sword of indictment against their lack of trust in him, but it also cuts the other way. It cuts away the uh, the fat and the and the and lack of sensitivity towards God's actions. But once we become um, attuned to it and listening, right now you have my attention, O Lord. Um, remember, I was that God who brought you out of slavery when you had nothing or thought you had nothing. It's then you actually had everything because you had me. Now. You're looking to the things that you have and acting like you have everything, but you don't have me. Therefore, you have nothing. So if I bring you out into tents, if I bring you into exile, right, um, and and there outwardly you look as if you have nothing, you don't even have a land anymore, you're not even a people anymore, then I will show that you are my people and his mercy will be seen again and again. So, yeah, God, um, God does this. He humbles um, but in his humbling, he desires to exalt and lift up the humbled uh, to a seat at his table. So the prophet continues to go on speaking on behalf of God and recalling the history of Israel. So we're going to read the rest of the chapter, which is verses 10 through 14. I spoke to the prophets. It was I who multiplied visions and through the prophets gave parables. If there is iniquity in Gilead. They shall surely come to nothing. In Gilgal they sacrifice bulls. Their altars also are like stone heaps on the furrows of the field. Jacob fled to the land of Aram where Israel served for a wife, and for a wife he guarded sheep. By a prophet Yahweh brought Israel up from Egypt, and by a prophet he was guarded. Ephraim has given bitter provocation, so his Lord will leave his blood guilt on him, and will repay him for his disgraceful deeds. Ooh, I mean, you know, it's it's a it's a pretty powerful way to end the chapter. Of course, really, it does keep on going into thirteen. But um, before we get to you know repaying him for his disgraceful deeds, God reminds him through the prophet that he's sent prophets. What's the significance of that? Yeah, God, our God is a God who. Who speaks, right? And that is, uh, it's uh, again amazingly comforting um, with our eyes of, of, of our ears of faith to listen and hear. It's terrifying if they have been listening, listening to uh, to other things, right? 
Um, it, this it speaks of such foolish, the foolishness of idolatry, because how can stones speak? You know, how can they put up a, uh, uh, a, a wooden image uh, and, and a sheer pole and, and look at it as if it's going to start speaking, giving wisdom uh, to, to them. But our living God is not of stone or not of wood. He is the God who formed the heavens and the earth. And he speaks and he speaks through his prophets. Again, it's a, a word that we should find great comfort in because God speaks to us and he speaks to you when you're like, well, I want to hear from God. Well, then come, <laughs> come to church. There he, there he sends his prophets. Uh, call on your pastor. Give your word of comfort. Many often of times I have members send me an email or give me a call because they are faced with great struggle, great hardship, and they want to be comforted in God's word. What a joy it is to give them the word of God to to face uh, face and wrestle with God on on His promises. Here. Um, God speaks and he has multiplied his faith. So it's not like they have been without, you know, they have turned away from God. And what has God done? He sent prophet after prophet after prophet to them. He has increased uh, the visions to these prophets and parables he has spoken, and yet they aren't listening. And that's the, the terrible mourning of it all, uh, that they aren't listening when God is speaking to them. Despite the fact that the law always accuses the simple fact that he has sent someone to proclaim the law is an act of the gospel right he doesn't just mm -hmm. sit back on his heavenly heights and go ah well you know they they didn't figure it out so oh well i'm going to destroy them no he sends the the convicting law but he does it because he loves us right the law of god is good and wise and so we are looking to the law and now we're talking about uses, but we're looking to the law to show us where we've gone astray. And uh, and then, you know, in that conviction, of course, he can then come and rescue us. And then the law serves that wonderful third purpose of guiding us in how we live our Christian life. But but, you know, we see that today, too. We see so many people who I think have become accustomed to the words of God. You know, back then it was prophets, and you could see the prophet. You could see Amos and and Isaiah, and they're they're roaming around. And they're they're like disheveled madmen, and, and and it's easy just to dismiss them as someone who's crazy. Especially if, hey, what do you mean God's not happy with us? Look at look how loaded we are. Look how powerful we are. And so it's easy to dismiss them. Well, in this day and age, you know, uh, I guess what is the word? Uh, familiarity breeds contempt. So people have so much access to the scriptures, it's almost as if they just don't appreciate what they have. They don't recognize it as a literal word from God, the revelation of the creator of all things. And so they disrespect the scriptures by not being in them, but still seeking wisdom. And so they go to every new and fresh idea in the world. They cling to that uh, and maybe even attribute their successes to that while ignoring, of course, the holy word of God. So, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, obviously, I'm happy that people have, uh, you know, just uh, completely, um, eh, I'm listening, I'm forgetting the word already. But anyway, they have such access to the God's word that they've never had before. I'm glad for that. But at the same time, I just wonder if the familiarity has bred contempt. What do you think? Yeah, I, 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 yes. 
uh, we can see how quickly that happens, right? How much hand wringing when uh, certain things were closed or uh, restrictions on numbers. Oh, pastor, man, these governmental people are keeping me from my church. There's no one doing that today. There's no <laughs> oh one my keeping gosh, you're people, right. people from, from coming to church, uh, except for, man, it was 10 degrees colder than what I wanted it to be outside. There was a little bit of rain in the forecast, so I decided to stay home. You know, you know, hey, 30-year-old man, uh, I don't think you need to be afraid of 30-degree uh, temperatures. So um, it is sad. It's sad, like you say, to see that God is speaking. He has spoken his word and he gives out his gifts. And, and yet um, and yet we see what people really strive for, um, which which is right here. I mean, verse 11 leads us right into that with uh, Gilead and, and Gilgal. Um, these are prosperous areas uh, where plains and and cattle areas where people would be prosperous and and have plenty and can make sacrifices maybe not to the lord uh but can offer up sacrifices to the to the things that they think are giving them what really what they wanted and when that really wasn't to live as saying i am a servant to the lord i belong to him but they they become freed to become servants and slaves to their things, um, to the things that they think will give them what their hearts desire. And it's sad that that's what they want because it's going to come to nothing. And those altars by which they are uh, laying up uh, sacrifices, uh, they will become stones heaped up on a furrow in the field. So, you know, the, the Lord is coming to uh, plow. And when he does all these stones, uh, he comes to throw to the side. And that was the, the altars on the altars on these high points. Um, they had these altars and, and yet God is coming to plow. He is going to take the high places and make them level grounds. And that speaks already forward to the coming of Christ. He is, he and his grace and mercy is already kind of laying out the one for whom the word for whom will become flesh and dwell among us. And that the high places with their altars are going to be a, a, a trash of stones uh, left to the side. Something for them to remember because, you know, you talked about the, the worship too. These people are really religious, and I think that's something that we brought out <laughs> before. I mean, they, they, they are all kinds of religious. There's multiple places, and yet their religion does them nothing if it's not in the one true God. And while it might have been easy back then to say, oh, that's an Asherah pole, or oh, that's obviously one of the carved Baal gods or whatever, today there's plenty of super religious people in the name of Christ who – well, frankly, are engaged in disgraceful deeds. And now, lest we become, you know, uh, um, sins, we need to examine ourselves and say, yeah, it might be easy to point to this church or that who's really strayed from the word of God. But in what ways have we been our faith, hope and trust in things other than God? Um we're here towards the end of the show, but I just wanted to say, I mean, that'll definitely preach what you said earlier about the fact that. You know, it was sort of an anniversary of sorts not too long ago, I think last Sunday, where this time three years ago we were being shut down 
And I've never seen such people who were dedicated to coming to church whenever they were told they couldn't. <laughs> and it's it's like, as you said, the doors are open now. And and to the great credit of many of those people who stood up for it, they are, of course, active in their churches. But so many more who have not returned after the restrictions were lifted, so to speak. So we, we, ha- we must continue to call people to strive with God, not rely on their own wealth or intelligences or wisdom or or anything else, but rather to uh, to cling to what God has done for them. And that's what this chapter is doing. We have just a minute or so left in the program. It's all yours. Just sort of some last thoughts before we finish up. Yeah, this this chapter keeps making connections back to how God had answered and had had freed his people, had called them from nothing. He He's also now here pointing us to, to Moses and how God lifted up Moses as a prophet to, to, to by which um, his word was proclaimed and his people were regarded and and freed from slavery all of this is is pointing us to Jesus right all that points us to Jesus who is a word made flesh that God sends forth the father has sent forth to free us from the enslavement to our sins from a sense of putting our hope, our trust, our, our love, our fear in, in all these things to, to, to be turned back to him. He, he sends his own son to a wayward people who in turn crucify that son. But, but God in his wisdom has taken that death and given us life. God in his wisdom has taken his son who shed his blood and covers us in that blood of the lamb and you are forgiven and have been given life. So come, come now and and worship the one who was given for us and to us. Come now and worship the one uh, who is the truth, who is the word and gives his own body and blood for you. And by it, you live and have life. So, yes, come again to the one who has come to us in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen to that, brother. Well, folks, uh, you know, I just would like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend John Shank. He's the pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. I hope that things have been going well for you this Lintontide, Pastor. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you. It's such a blessing. And tomorrow, well, thy strong word is preempted, so be sure to come back tomorrow, but uh, you'll be hearing some great uh, Lenten Tide music. But then join us on Thursday in Hosea 13. God reminds the people of Israel again of their past glory, but warns them of impending destruction. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.